You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. I'm Rodney Davis. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Mark Towner. It's a slimmed down edition of the Beltway Briefing. It's uh, I'm going to say the date because I think things are moving so quickly that we kind of have to mark where we are in time. And it's Friday, October 20th. Uh, two weeks ago, we were together. And uh, Kevin McCarthy had had just been deposed. We had a robust conversation about the significance of that having happened. And I think in particular, Towner, you and I had a little bit of a debate about whether this was democracy in action or something else. And I made the argument that it was very bad on the global stage. Mm -hmm. The next morning, we all woke up to uh, reports of a horrific, indescribably horrific terrorist attack in Israel perpetrated by by Hamas. And obviously that situation has since sadly blown up in both in terms of its scope and in terms of its significance regionally and globally. And this isn't about who was who was right or wrong, but I think that I think we've seen the juxtaposition of a house that is dysfunctional with what's going on in the world and the need for U.S. leadership and the role that the United States is playing on the world stage right now has never been more stark. And I mean, I don't know that it's ever been. I don't know. I, there haven't been many points in time, save for world wars, where the U.S. leadership was as important as it is right now. We've still got a house in disarray. Obviously, you know, multiple, so far two votes on Jim Jordan rejecting his speakership. We've got Patrick McHenry's temporary speakership kind of hanging out there. You know, things appear to be getting worse, not not better in in the Middle East. And and I, I do want to say um obviously you know it's a it's a very emotional and and trying time uh for many many people and a difficult time and i i it's just a mess it's it's a mess and um this is a time towner I'll, I'll kick it to you for this is a time for a steady hand and i think President Biden has displayed, notwithstanding his approval ratings, he's to me, he's been the epitome of leadership and governing. And the House Republicans are the epitome of 
dysfunction and an inability to lead. And, and it's, it's, I think I'm not sure that's frustrating to everybody, but it's very frustrating to me and people that, you know, haven't have an interest in the region. So that's my monologue. I'll stop talking. And what say you Tanner French? <laughs> so uh it felt loaded. It felt like a loaded question. <laughs> this Tony, you you are going to be ganged up on today. There you go. I'm fine. So, I'm, I'm I welcome this. I welcome this. Uh no, I think I think first of all, I will say uh, I agree with the first part. I think Biden has provided steady leadership through this crisis. I think he, uh, if you roll back the tape on all of our podcasts, uh, I was very clear in saying I thought he provided very steady leadership, especially in the run up to Russia's invasion, reinvasion or invasion again of Ukraine. Um, and I think he's he's done a heck of a job with with the Israeli situation as well. Obviously, a, a horribly tragic incursion. And, um, you know, I think Biden's doing everything uh, in his power to be able to manage sort of the Israeli response and make sure that it is uh, that it is uh, appropriate and measured. And uh, and we have assets there now. I mean, there are there are assets in the region. There are two carry. Well, we'll shortly have two carrier groups uh, there. We certainly have a carrier group that that uh, is routinely. Um, uh, positioned in the Middle East, uh, in the Mediterranean as well. And uh, so, you know, we have a Marine uh, Force Recon squad of 2,000 soldiers. I mean, I, I I think we're at war. Like, we're, we are. Yeah, I, I, I well, can't go there yet. I can't go there. We're not at war. We're not. Although there are American citizens dead. And American citizens being held hostage. So if yeah. we aren't at war under some War Powers Act definition, we are we are right on the line of. I mean, good. President Biden flew into a war zone. Yeah. Like to me, every what, member of Congress and President Biden also flew into a war zone in Ukraine, but we didn't think we were fighting that war. I don't care well, if you I thought think we were spending what, money there or if you were in favor of it or not. I'm de- I'm definitely in favor of it. But we certainly, as an American public, don't believe we're fighting a war in Ukraine. We believe we're funding a war in Ukraine, which is something totally different than fighting a war. Fighting a war is what happens in Afghanistan, is what happens in Israel. If you tell me that we're fighting a war in Syria, I'd tell you you're dang right. And nobody knows about it. And we have 900 troops there. And they've been there for about seven years. And so after the large Afghanistan pullout, we still have troops in Syria that are fighting ISIS on a daily basis. Yesterday, it was finally reported in the national news that there were two drone incursions on U.S. bases in Syria, U.S. troop bases in Syria. They haven't reported on that in the national nightly news in three years. And it happens every day. So we are fighting wars in certain places. We We are not fighting a war in Israel right now. We shouldn't go down the are we at war rabbit hole. But while we're there on our way out, I hope, we also shot down missiles in Yemen. We shoot and, down missiles every day in the Middle East. Right. It, it just never nobody right. cares because they don't think we're at let, war. let's come back. Let's get out of that rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah. And let's let Professor French continue well, with his I, yeah. dissertation on the house. Okay, but I reserve the right to go back into the rabbit yeah. hole. Oh, we well, will be. We 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 will yeah. be. The the summation of what I was trying to say on the first part is. I think Biden's done a heck of a job and I applaud him. And I, I think he's, I think from an executive branch of military strategic 
sense, we are on the right course. We're providing the right support. We're doing all the things. And he's been present. I really liked the speech last night uh, from the Oval Office. That was a very, uh, very excellent presidential moment for President Biden, uh, a leader, commander in chief moment for President Biden. And uh, I like to see it again. I like to see it again because, you know, quite frankly, Biden hasn't been very, you know, Oval Office speech-esque over the course of his term. Trump certainly wasn't. And, you know, I think we all, uh, at least maybe the three of us, sort of regardless of party, long for a president that is that is a steady uh, hand, steady hand, but that is present, that you notice, that you see, that you you hear them speak and you say, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And I'll follow that guy. So um, it was good to see that happen uh, last night. Congressionally, I, I mean, look, it, for me, I think, and, you know, we've gone offline on this in, on about 10 rounds. I, <laughs> I, I um, certainly the House is in disarray. There's there's absolutely no question of that. I think tying that disarray to Israel or Ukraine right now is not the right thing to do because the president is not waiting on anything from Congress currently. He literally sent the supplemental request yesterday. And uh, so Congress doesn't actually have anything to do right now. The government's funded. If we're sitting here in a government shutdown and this was all going on, obviously it would be a it would be a situation. I actually applaud for the most part everything that's happening in the House right now. And the reason why I do is because this is the first time in 15 years since the start of the Tea Party that the moderates have stepped up and said, hell no. And Um, You know, everything, every single podcast we've ever done, we've talked about when are the moderates going to step up? When are the moderates going to step up? And now that the moderates are stepping up for the first time, everybody's like, this is chaos. This is disarray. How can we function? The house is broken. And the answer to the house being unbroken right now in this very moment is for the conservatives to take over, unfortunately. And that's not the right answer. It's not the right answer for the future of the Republican Party. It's not the right answer for the future of this country. And I think it's the opposite of what we want. We want this chaos right now because we are we are extracting, exercising some uh, some cancers, in my opinion, from the Republican Party through this process. But and- it comes at a very 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 dangerous time and like it or not the entire world watches this is what i said on the last podcast the entire world watches the united states and takes their cues from the united states and watches the our government and the entire world right now and it doesn't seem like that would be the case like are people in indonesia why do they care about whether the United States has a functioning House of Representatives. But they actually, but the way it gets reported, they actually care. And yeah. And we like to put the makeup on and go in front of the cameras and give this this notion to folks uh, that democracy isn't messy, that democracy doesn't take a little a little fight from time to time. And, you know, every but, you know, it does. And we're seeing that right now. And it's OK. Uh, but this it's isn't okay. dem- well, Tanner, is this democracy. Like, I don't think yeah, this is. is dem- I, I don't think it is. I think it's idiocy. I think it's internal office politics is what it is within the Republican caucus. That's not democracy is winning your individual election. I mean, yes, it's an election for the speaker, but I, I don't know. I just, I, to me, it's internal 
it's petty internal politics. And I don't think it breaks down actually the way you said. I don't well, think it's like just moderates against conservatives. Like Ken Buck is one of the people that voted against Jordan, the Freedom Caucus guy. So, I mean, he had his reasons, but and and he's not the only like I, I just don't think it breaks down necessarily that way. But let me uh, ask you about that, if I may, Towner. I certainly, as we all know, agree with Howard that this is just a bad time for this bad look in Congress. But set that aside for a moment, because I would feel better about it if I thought it were an exorcism we were we were witnessing. But how how does it end that way? What's the scenario in which the devil is exercised from the caucus? It seems to me that it is trending the wrong way, notwithstanding the votes. And each time Jordan has a roll call, he loses more support. But how does this end other than with him being the speaker, which is far from an exorcism, is an, a, a further entrenchment of the of the problem. Yeah, I mean, Jim Jordan will not be Speaker of the House, uh, and that will be played out through the course, actually, of today, probably. Um, what we have had happen over uh, over the last week uh, is is a uh, battle between Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan, uh, which which Steve Scalise won, but in winning lost uh, because he he lost uh, the votes necessary. Uh, even though he won the vote in the conference uh, in the House Republican conference, he obviously uh, made it impossible for him to get to 217 votes on the House floor, uh, and therefore uh, felt like he needed to drop out. Jim Jordan uh, orchestrated part of that by essentially uh, going to Steve Scalise and saying, uh, "I'll endorse." you for your first round of, of vote. And if you can't get to 217 on the floor, then I'm done. And uh, I'm going to actively work to oust you. This has all been orchestrated by Jim Jordan and a number of Freedom Caucus members, joined by Kevin McCarthy, uh, which has been uh, an odd bedfellow yeah. situation. McCarthy uh, would not have been speaker but for Jim Jordan. Uh, he, Jim Jordan was needed by Kevin McCarthy to twist those Freedom Caucus arms to get him to 218 votes in January. And McCarthy is, is very much repaying the favor uh, to Jim Jordan right now and has been his closest ally. In fact, uh, most of, of McCarthy McCarthy's floor staff seems to be working for Jim Jordan at this point, quasi and um, et cetera. So Scalise drops out. And Jim Jordan gets nominated. Yes. How is that part of an exorcism? Just let me finish for the love of God. I mean, a lot has happened since we had our last podcast. I apologize. <laughs> I, I, I was encouraging you to finish. Yes. <laughs> Jim Jordan goes in front of the conference and uh, and has his perfunctory, uh, I need a majority of the conference to move to the House floor. And uh, Austin Scott from Georgia decides there needs to be a there needs to be a counterbalance. And so he puts his name, his own name forward. He has not whipped anybody. He has not uh, lobbied for the job. He has not talked to anybody about the job. And Jim Jordan narrowly beats him on a 50 percent plus uh, majority vote needed in the House Republican conference. Jordan then tries to go to the floor. He obviously can't get there on the first ballot. He pauses. He can't get there on the second ballot. Moderates 
and establishment Republicans who are helping drive this. So we're talking about appropriations members and Ways and Means Committee members who have been members of Congress for between 10 and 20 years, between five and 10 terms. They're sort of the old, we'd call them the old bulls, but, you know, it's ladies and guys uh, that that are are there. And they are uh, saying, hell no, we're done. And uh, they're working with the moderates. They're providing... Uh, material support and command support to the moderates uh, to get this done. And Jim Jordan is flailing right now. Last night, um, well, two nights ago, I should say, Wednesday night into Thursday was probably one of the most interesting uh, periods of the of the House Republican conference and will be written about for, for quite some time. But Jim Jordan essentially had lost his second vote on the House floor by more votes uh, than he lost the first uh, and hatched a plan, sort of turned into a plan uh, that had been promoted to put Patrick McHenry in as a permanent speaker pro tem, uh, have all the powers of the office. It's something that's been done through the history of the Congress. Uh, when Sam Rayburn died in 1961, we had a speaker pro tem for a period of time. It was it was uh, it was pro forma. It was something that happened regularly uh, through most of the early 1900s to mid 1900s and late 1800s. But the idea was, let's see if we can do this a little bit on the lighter side uh, instead of having a formal speaker vote uh, and at least provide that stability back to the House. Um, Jim Jordan uh, tried to do that only to uh, say that he wanted essentially McHenry to pass all of the stuff, pass the spending bills, pass the defense authorization bill pass the aid for Ukraine and Israel, and then we'll revote on speaker at the beginning of January, at which point in time, Jim Jordan would uh, tell the Republican conference that McHenry was a rhino, had passed all this spending, here we go again, uh, and use that to elevate himself uh, into the speakership in January. That backfired in a tremendous way yesterday afternoon. And now the conference is turning on Jim Jordan. They're turning on Matt Gates. Matt Gates almost got in a fist fight when he tried to take the mic and he was told to go, you know what, himself. So uh, by numerous members of the conference, um, you know, the the folks that got us into this, the folks that then are trying to capitalize off of the chaos in the Freedom Caucus to lead the Republicans out of this and take power, they have been stopped right now. And yeah, yeah. yeah. But Towner, my my issue with this, I did it last time we recorded and I'm going to do it again, is it's not going away because this is this is Trumpy. Yeah, (laughs) this is Matt Gates is Donald Trump. Well, I mean, and and so are a bunch of other members, including Jim Jordan. and, And and the majority of the Republican conference just <laughs> voted for an election denier for speaker. I mean, I well, ironically, and, the majority of the conference voted for stability. <laughs> They're just tired. Like you have accused, they are tired of the chaos. So they didn't want anybody to prevent the chaos. Well, that's not the right thing to do. And the right thing to do is to get the right person in as Speaker of the House and de facto elect the highest elected leader of the party. That's the right thing to do. And yeah. so if you want to end the chaos, that's fine. But it's not going to end the chaos well, in the long run. I guess my point is, as long as the leader of your party is Donald Trump, the chaos chaos reigns. Well, then to heck with it. Let's just elect Jim Jordan and burn it all down. And we won't send any money to Israel. We won't send any money to Ukraine. And why go through this exercise of actually trying to find good governance? I mean, it feels very defeatist. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're of course right. It's, I mean, uh, I'm glad they're going through this process. Nobody yeah. else seems to find the silver lining in this, but this is a better outcome than just saying, sure, Jim Jordan, here's the keys to the car. Oh, for sure. By the way, we're backing out of Absolutely. Ukraine and we're backing out of like this is that's good a good point. This is happening. Well, by the way, if all you cared about. And it is not even close to all that anybody on this podcast cares about. But if all you cared about were a Democratic takeover of the House in 2024, you'd be rooting for Jim Jordan. Because in addition to all of the other reasons he shouldn't be Speaker of the House, it seems to me from the other side of the aisle that it is a politically suicidal decision to hand him the gavel maybe but i think the president of the united states is licking his chops over the prospect of sending a ukraine israel aid bill to the house ultimately to the house <laughs> that can't function i mean i think dysfunction mark is yeah. Dysfunction is worse than Jim Jordan, actually, from a political point of view. Worse for the Republicans. Worse for the Republicans. Better for the Democrats. And clearly worse for the world. But that's what happens if he sends the package up. Jim Jordan gets the speakership. They divide the question in the House. They pass the Israeli aid back on with the disaster aid and all the other border security and send it all back, strip out the Ukraine and send it back to the Senate. Is the president going to say no? We're not replenishing Iron Dome because I want the money for Ukraine. Right. No, I hear you. I mean, I hear you, Towner. You're making the timing here, and then we can crawl our way out of this rabbit hole. Well, this is this isn't a rabbit hole. This is a crater. I mean, this is yeah, yeah. But I'm taking us deeper in the crater because uh, uncharacter. Logically, I am interested in the process here that Professor French knows so well. But just how does it actually work? The president sent those bills over yesterday. The Senate is working. The Senate presumably. By the way, the Senate hasn't done bubkiss for like three weeks. Well, they've been stalled on nominations right now. The Senate is open for business. Whether any business is getting done or not, is is that fair? And and by the way, one of the things that the Senate has done bubkiss on, thanks to Senator Tuberville, is 300 military nominations or appointments that he's holding while we are either at war or on the verge of war. You know, so, I'd be happy well, to get and, into that issue, which we have not delved and into. how about an ambassador either. to Israel just Two. as a sidebar? Well, but, but if the, I there are to get Republicans into that. that have problems with the fact that you, the ambassador well, to Israel actually worked the Iran deal. So, I mean, you know, it's uh, they have a couple questions that they'd like to ask. And those are legit. Like that. Ask them. Agree. <laughs> ask them. In fact. I have a couple of questions as a as a reformed supporter of the Iran uh, deal. I have a couple of questions. Well, so then the question is, can can Senate Republicans be blamed for wanting to ask him those questions first instead of racing the nomination through no. them because of what's going on in Israel? But they are going to get blamed for it. 
Right. Like the good well, governance point is, let us ask the question. Once he's the ambassador too, but. Uh, but that, that defeats the whole point of the, of the nomination process. <laughs> go back to uh, to the is he this? I've lost track. He's the junior senator from Alabama. No, oh, I'd be He's happy the to senior the senator from he Alabama. He is now the yeah. right. They swapped out. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, we can talk about Tuberville. We haven't talked. I can't believe we haven't talked about Tuberville. And for for weeks, we had we had the opportunity. But you know, I mean, months, I guess, at this point. But uh, but you know, I I think I think there's a there is a disagreement on policy at the Pentagon as to whether or not the Pentagon, which is by the way, is authorized wholly on an annual basis for the last sixty three years. The Pentagon is told what they can and cannot do very expressly. Secretary did something that they can't do. It relates to abortion. And uh, Tuberville said, no, you can't do that. And Democrats said, sure, let's have an, uh, let's have a fight over an amendment. And Tuberville says, you're going to defeat the amendment. So what do I care? Like, why are we going through this exercise? And so he found this thing. I don't think it's the right thing. I want to I want to be very clear. But the power does exist in the Senate to uh, to have a hold on nominations that hold can be overcome and would be overcome easily as we saw with with uh uh the chairman of the joint chiefs with the the commandant of the marine corps and others where schumer chose to put those on the senate floor after tuberville actually tried to put them on the floor the appointments that we're talking about are promotions they are Everybody, as I understand it, that's been promoted is promoted into an acting role, even though they're not fully confirmed yet. So as saying that we have no military readiness or it de defeats military readiness is something that I can't wrap my head around because all the folks are doing the jobs that they did, that they are promoted to do or proposed to be promoted to do. It's not like the military. We have just thousands of soldiers sitting around going, where do we go? What do we do now? Like that is not the case in any way, shape or form whatsoever it is a point of the actual nomination and and the confirmation process the paperwork process that is being held up right now and so this is a political fight uh tuberville feels like he has zero other options to change this abortion policy decision at the at the pentagon and as a result of that he has no other alternative and he is using this avenue do i agree with it no do I agree that Tuberville actually has a point that the Pentagon act outside of its legislative and statutory authority? Absolutely. And I think there should be a consequence for that. But because it's on the issue of abortion, there will not be because the Senate is so divided on that question, obviously. And so Tuberville has decided, you know, I'm going to step it up and I'm going to use the lever that's like maybe the nuclear option, but it's the option that I have, the only one that I have available to me. This is the epitome of cutting off the, your nose to spite your face because- yes. He's choosing the avenue that causes the Republicans to lose twice. They're That's losing right. on the issue of the generals and they're losing on the abortion yeah. issue, which we've already seen is an issue that drives people to the polls and causes the Republicans to lose elections. That's right. Yeah, so it's, I, it's idiotic. Well, and it's the vast majority of the Republicans in the Senate agree with your assessment there, Howard. However, 
He's a senator, duly elected from a state, and there are 100 of them, and they have their own little fiefdoms over there, and they can do whatever the heck they want to do. And the Senate could go around him in a heartbeat if it wanted to, but Schumer and others have chosen that this is a better political issue than it is is a strategic jurisdictional and and procedural issue. And so that's where we are. Mark, I'd like to point out for the record that Towner, who is – bringing his a game this morning is doing so on like two hours of sleep over the last 72 hours. So he's been, he's been puffing it around town. So defending the institution he loves, which I'd like to return to because he knows it so well. So the Senate does something instead of being open for business and doing nothing. The Senate passes the Biden uh, bills and sends them to the house, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they can. Yeah. I mean, technically, it should start in the house. Well, I, I understand you do have that. Yeah. The Senate can act first because they actually have some revenue vehicles uh, to avoid the constitutional uh, issue. The there. Senate acts first. Yeah. And it's now November 1st. Okay. In 16 days, November the government 1st runs out of money. Close. <laughs> November 1st is pretty soon for that to actually happen. So first of all, no Congress has ever accepted in total a package that has been sent from the White House, period. They just don't do it because Congress has the power of the purse. So now the appropriations committees, the work is happening right now in the House and in the Senate, by the way, because we have committees in the House and they were functioning very well. And so House appropriators, Senate appropriators, House Armed Services, Senate Armed Services staff, are sitting down with OMB, they're sitting down with the White House, sitting down with the Pentagon and the State Department to go through their request because it hasn't been shown to them until yesterday afternoon, essentially. And so they will go through that request now and they will say, okay, we like this, but can you justify that? And, you know, where maybe we need some weapons over here and et cetera, et cetera. So wait, once wait. that happens and that process will not be completed until at the earliest, early to mid next week, then the Senate can act. Then we get to a situation. I have to, I apologize. I I know you're answering my question. Thank you. But I have to interrupt to ask how it is while you were answering that question on screen, you managed to get an SOS to Rodney who has has appeared from cyberspace here with a big smile to to set the record straight mark this is what this is what happens uh, unfortunately rodney is more likely to bring towner down than he is to build him <laughs> up but this is what happens first of all rodney's straight out of the dentist chair yeah second of all this is what happens when you tell a guy that he is making up his dental appointment in order to duck a podcast right. so he doesn't have to answer for his former colleagues <laughs> well, I do, Rodney, while, while I've interrupted the proceedings here to welcome you, I do have to give you a welcome in regards from uh, our cousin CFO, Dave Elman, who last night told me that he thinks we have upgraded our podcast with the addition of Congressman Davis. You so go. so oh. you, the floor is yours, Rodney. <laughs> well, well, I, I want to say, number one, thank you. Um, I, I was going to try and not trash counter for geeking out and me missing it and um, not missing it uh, while, while it was happening. However, 
I, I want to thank him. Tell him thank you. And I, if all I knew it would take would be calling Howard a globalist and making fun of Towner geeking out yeah. about house procedures, I'd have done it long ago. Uh, but just so y'all know, Howard thought I was faking a dental exam. I'm about ready to leave the country, and I had a tooth problem, and I found out it was a cracked tooth. So I'm on Novocaine right now. If you see me take a drink of something, I'll be slobbering outside of my mouth, which is pretty much 10 a.m. every day at work. Um, <laughs> and uh, and and I got it fixed though. So they they put a filling in. They they Novocaine me up. Uh, the de- the well, do they, is Dr. it Novocaine or or Bush Light that they anesthetize you with? Well, let's just say I didn't walk in anesthetized, so they had to do, they had to use the other stuff. You know what's uh, not but, fixed though, Rodney, is <clears throat> your former yeah. employer. Well, which is and, exactly why I jumped on here because I didn't want you to think I was running away from and, the, the Jim Jordan <clears throat> event of, of the third round of votes. But I gotta ask because I was in the chair getting drilled, getting my tooth sanded. All right, we got enough of the dental. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You're good Good dental work. Great dentist here in Harvard. Um, What (laughs) happened with the press conference at 8 a.m.? Anything? Downer, you're muted. Uh, I I thought you were going to then answer the question. No, it's... uh, um, It was a rambling mess uh, of a press conference, and uh, everybody's like, what the heck is Jim Jordan saying at this point? So he rambled. He's going to take a third vote. He's going to get less votes than he got last time. Yeah, I mean, that ain't happening. That That ain't happening. But the question is, I think what we were getting to is the squeeze is on because it's October 20th, and no later than November 17th, we take – House dysfunction and turn it into broader government dysfunction. And that's Which, before you get to the question of passing an aid bill or yeah. after you get to the question. So where like where do, how does this end is really my question at this point. Like Towner's done a very eloquent job of taking us through finding the silver lining in 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 the madness. What, but how does it you- how, how does it end? But what you missed, Rodney, is that Towner promised us an exorcism. I'm just unclear on which side's getting exercised here. My Republicans. He went through the Floridians a lot longer than he should have if he's doing exorcists now. How does Uh, it end? How does it end? uh, It ends, I'm sure, the way Towner said it was going to end. You're likely to get an agreement on a speaker pro tem. And at that point, that will go past the 45 days. That speaker pro tem will likely lead Congress through a bipartisan fiesta of of solutions to a longer-term CR, solutions to NDAA, solutions to uh, funding for Israel and Ukraine. And then um, whomever wants to be speaker next will beat them over the head with it and use it as a chance to get to 217, which I don't still know how anybody in that conference today will get to 217 votes even after this cooling-off period. Towner, did I agree with what you said? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't gotten to the end yet. But go to but I totally agree with you. See we're on the same page. But I do want to say real quick, because longtime listeners like Evan are going to remember me saying that those who blew this up don't really care if they lead us into another another shutdown after 45 days, which is creeping upon us very, very quickly, as you mentioned. 
senior globalist. Counter all yours. No, I think I think you're exactly right. I mean, I don't you know, they're going to go through an exercise where they're going to see if Emmer, Hearn, you know, Jody Arrington's na- name, the budget chair is in the mix. Now, there's a there's a, a crew of folks who, who probably are on the second tier, let's say, in, in fairness, uh, who uh, who are going to try to. Uh, try to be Speaker of the House. And I don't, I agree with Rodney. I don't think any of them are going to get 217 votes on the floor. Uh, I hope they make a rules change now in conference so they can not go to the floor with each one of these individuals in rapid fire secession. Um, but uh, but at that point in time, then they're going to look for a, a temporary option through the end of the year. It's not obviously going to be McHenry at this point because he said absolutely not given, given Jim Jordan's shenanigans. But, uh, but ultimately, uh, they're going to find a temporary solution. And I, I, I don't think we're going to have major interruptions to the supplemental legislative schedule or a government shutdown necessarily on November 17th. I don't think I don't think we're going to see any of that. And so I just I want to put that on record. Counter, one, one, one question. When did McHenry say not him? Well, yesterday in the conference. No, no, no. He said, I'll quit if you guys keep stopping me, if you try to run a bill through. That was he didn't say in the conference meeting yesterday that he wouldn't take this temporary increased status. I think he said, I'll quit if you try to put me in that job. <laughs> no, he said, no, no. He said, I'll quit if you try to put me in that job without codifying this without codifying in a vote the increased authority. No, but here's the thing. He can't. He does not want it. And so behind the scenes on Wednesday night, I know there was a screaming match, quite frankly, in some cases between McHenry and Jim Jordan. There was issues that happened through that night into the next day, because what Jim Jordan was going to do is make McHenry the foil. He was going to support McHenry being permanent speaker pro tem, uh, only to call him a rhino and run him out of Congress uh, so that he could get the speakership in January. And and that plan was 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 found out and uh, was figured out. And and as a result, that's when McHenry said, I will not be permanent speaker pro tem. Well, the, I, Counter, the question Counter, is, Counter, what, is what, what is it? What is it? What is it? What is what? Because there's a question of what it means to be speaker pro tem and what the what the um, what what how minimalist it actually could be. There's no difference between being speaker of the House and being permanent elected speaker pro tem. There is no difference, period. There is a difference between being designated speaker pro tem, which he is now. And being a permanent elected speaker pro tem, there is a big difference there. And there are rules that there are things that he can't do. Now, he has, in my opinion, he has a heck of a lot of additional authorities right now. The House could be passing bills right now, quite frankly, but he's not exercising those authorities because McHenry doesn't want to look like he's actually doing anything because he doesn't want to be Speaker of the House. So he's only gaveling in and gaveling out at this point. He has a lot more authority under the rules and precedents of the House than he's exercising right now. There are certainly things he cannot do because he is only designated and not an elected permanent speaker pro tem. But there is no difference between an elected elected permanent speaker pro tem and a formally elected by by so verbal affirmation speaker of the house. If if McHenry becomes permanent speaker pro tem, 
Yes. Does that undesignate Jim Jordan as the caucus candidate? Isn't no. that the magic Anybody here? Can. No, that's the problem. That is how, the do you, how does the caucus undesignate Jim Jordan as its candidate for speaker? Well, I will tell you, I actually yesterday morning uh, drafted a motion to vacate Jim Jordan's designation uh, that would apply to the conference rules at the request of some members. And uh, it wasn't utilized in the three hour conference yesterday. Uh, but at some point, they are going to unravel that. That is why they're going for the third vote right now in the hopes that when he gets smacked down even harder, he will actually withdraw his name, therefore not requiring the conference to actually, ironically, vacate Jim Jordan. Proving that you're never truly out of government. No. <laughs> you're never out of government. Tanner, your sources are a little bit different than mine. And yeah what has happened and what has not happened. So we'll see what uh, the end result is. Uh, but in the end, Jordan, uh, it was was said by multiple members who left the conference meeting yesterday that Jordan said, if he does not get the votes after this round, he will step down. I don't know why he would have put himself in an 8 a.m. press conference and a rambling press conference, as you say, that didn't really amount to anything. When he knows full well, he's not going to be able to uh, to get those twenty those twenty two votes is, to turn his way. Likely, likely will be getting uh, more people voting against right. him because of, of the tactics that some of his. He's an Ohio State guy, isn't that the answer, Howard? That's exactly. That's yeah, a, a, I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm I'm actually not even going to go to the Ohio State thing because that's a whole open the door for different you. rabbit hole that um, I don't want to go down. But um, the other thing that the well, well, Tanner, I it's my understanding that they could change the rules associated with the elected speaker pro tem position thereby limiting his authority and that that's one of the potential outcomes here in theory yes i mean that's but that only happens in in my opinion if for some reason the democrats get brought into this and uh then you start to see rules changes that the democrats would require uh to to lend their support and a number of other things you know it, at the end of the day, Democrats' votes are not being solicited right now. This is very uh, circular. It's very circular because they can't seem to get anything done without the Democrats. Well, I mean, you know, Democrats have a high price. I mean, one of the prices to save McCarthy, the price to save McCarthy was a was a uh, six seat, uh, six seat, six to six. Uh, rules Committee, which effectively ends the House of Representatives uh, for the remainder of this Congress, because you cannot move a bill to the floor that Democrats wouldn't support. Got it. Well, and the price I, has just been too high. I th I think, guys, one of the. So wait a minute. The Democrats wanted chaos to get chaos. Oh, come on. This isn't the Democrats. Is that what happened? Um, yeah. But one of the things that one of the opportunities that's being missed here and, and look, I've drawn the line um, between policy disagreements and policy issues on the one hand and dysfunction on the other hand, governing dysfunction on the other hand. But the Republicans are missing the opportunity to expose the, the squad on the left for its heinous 
heinous support of terrorism and equating the Palestinian cause as justification for what Hamas perpetrated, which is essentially what they're doing. And Mark, your party on the the far left, I mean, I don't, obviously we both praised, we've all praised President Biden. And, and, And obviously we're not talking about the mainstream of the party, but the Republicans are losing an opportunity Right. To right. Shellac I guess the Democrats for the disgusting behavior on the far left. A few Democrats, not your favorite AOC, who has been very good about this, but we should throw Talib out of the party, throw her out of the Congress, as far as I'm concerned. And and yes, it, it is an embarrassment that a a handful is is what we're really looking at here, but but I'm all for the party disciplining them. Um, I guess the House, you can't throw her out of the House because there's no House to throw her out of right now. But when there is, let's do it. Let's do it. Connor, I mean, Rodney, like, I don't know. Opportunity lost. Well, look, I was in Congress during the shutdown in 2013, where you know, Ted Cruz and, and his minions decided it'd be great to try and get President Obama to force him through a government shutdown not to implement a signature health care legislation, Obamacare. So we ended up missing weeks of being able to criticize the Obama administration for the completely disastrous rollout of Obamacare. But instead, we were fighting the good fight. So Republicans, unfortunately, have a history of doing it to themselves in Congress. And this is another example. And I hate to say this to anyone, you're 100% correct, Howard. Yeah, I love it. I'm going to take a really, um, uh, an opinion that maybe is going to be widely opposed. I don't believe in kicking Tlaib out of Congress at all. She's Palestinian American. She has a right to her views. I think they're completely and absolutely wrong. I think they've been proven completely and absolutely wrong. I think Hamas, I know Hamas is a designated terrorist organization. I do not like Hamas. I think we should ex- destroy Hamas and every part of it. But at the same point in time, she has been an outspoken defender of the Palestinians and as a Palestinian American, and her constituents keep sending her to Congress. And so the answer is not to kick. We live in a democracy. And the answer is not to kick a voice you don't like overwhelmingly out of Congress. At the same time, I'd love to kick Matt Gates out of Congress, but I don't think we should because his constituents keep sending him back to Congress. And this is a problem uh, with the electorate. It is not a problem with the elected in this particular case. She is defending something she has been very clear about. This is not like a, a secret position she has held. She has held this position and gotten reelected on several occasions to Congress. And so it's something we need to deal with as a country from the electorate, not by just exercising folks from the from the Congress and thinking the problem is solved. I think that's a comment. And I think we should kick her out of our party. I think you should kick Matt Gates out of your party. Both of those are fair. Yes. But but kicking them out of Congress is is another bridge altogether. Censure, do a censure, just like they've done to Paul Gosar, just like they've done to others. Censure her, let it be known on record that what she said was terribly wrong and and what she's doing uh, in her position is terribly wrong. 
We found something we agree on. There you go. End it immediately. End the podcast immediately. No, I'm just kidding. And we all agree that the Phillies will be in the World Series, and we can disagree about who we're rooting for once they get there. Well, we sadly, we have far more serious issues. And um it's a it's a dangerous time, guys. Like I'm I I think we are, I mean, Tanner, I think your your counter argument to me saying that we are effectively at war is good on technicalities, but we've got at a minimum we have a war raging in Europe on NATO's doorstep that we could be drawn into tomorrow you know it, it, the president made it clear i mean and and the nato treaty makes clear we have a duty to defend we could be drawn in tomorrow frankly it's miraculous that we haven't been drawn into it yet yeah and, and we've got warships in the mediterranean um we have dead americans in israel we have american hostages theoretically if they're still alive in in Gaza. And by the way, I think it's I don't one thing that I have a real issue with is like Gaza is or Hamas is not a country. Right. And it it almost it this is no different than fighting Al Qaeda. It's a, this is a war on terrorism. It's not a war between this is the way I see it. Yeah. I agree. It's a yeah, war on terrorism. It is a war on terrorism. I don't want to give Hamas any stature that they don't deserve. And they, the, right. And you know my feelings on this, Howard, but they are the elected leadership of the Gaza Strip. And we have to think, along with Israel, about what happens after Hamas. Yes. Because it will be a, Pyrrhic, the peace. it will be a Pyrrhic victory and a dangerous one if we eliminate Hamas and leave chaos. Here's what's going to happen, sadly. We're going to pump tens of billions of dollars into rebuilding, and it's going to be stolen and we're going to wind. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm not, well, I shouldn't even go there to be continued to be yes, continued indeed. guys. Uh, interesting time. I continue to believe we need to, the U S is still the adult in on the world stage. The, the world needs the United, the world needs our leadership. And I hope for stability at home, thereby, um, providing a sense of stability abroad. Uh, here, here. However, we get there. Here, here, Amen. and and I hope for Rodney's toothache to go away so he can very comfortably go on vacation. <laughs> Novocaine is a wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah. um, guys, spirited as always. Thank you for joining us. I hope our listeners enjoyed it, and we will be back next week. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. 
please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.